Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along. Check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm joined by Marina Hyde, who has written a fantastic book called What Just Happened, which is based on her Guardian column that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Hello, Marina. How are you doing? Hello, Richard. I'm fine. It is an honour to be on your show. Hello. Well, it's an honour to have you. So for people who might not know, I can't imagine there are any people who don't know. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself first and who you are and what you do? I write columns for The Guardian and I write on various different subjects, sort of politics, sports, celebrity. And this book is a collection of my columns from in recent years, from I've stuck up in in 2016, <laughs> yeah. the year where perhaps we all fell down the rabbit hole, went through the looking glass, just basically when we entered the realm of chaos in which we still live. And, you know, if any of your listeners know the exit strategy or how to get out of it, I would please, please let them get in touch with me and we can all escape through some hatch. Yeah, well, that's the only thing that it sort of doesn't, there was no way to end. <laughs> It'd be nice to think no. we got to the end. But unfortunately, the book ends before we're now, which is still crazy things are happening. So, yeah, it's... Uh, we're mid-arc. We're mid-arc, we... aren't we? The arc of history, it, the arc of, is not bending <laughs> towards justice. It's gone off on a tangent. <laughs> I think so, but... There'll be a second volume, which will hopefully, <laughs> uh, maybe when humanity is finished, unfortunately, it might be. I mean, I think that's the, it is, it's a very funny book, obviously, as people who read your columns will know, but it's kind of, 
horrifying as well to relive all of I mean, this. Time. Yeah. yeah, you're sort of clambering into the disaster simulator and just going through it again. It was quite interesting when I was doing this sort of selection of the ones to go in. I thought there's also, I should say, there's lots of other things in it, like sure. celebrities and sports and people, which I've tried to break up the politics with that. But when I was selecting them to kind of tell the story, you kept thinking, oh, yeah, it seems really bad at this point, but <laughs> it gets a lot worse. And so you're just trying to think, God, it's really weird sort of going back to see how we got into a deeper and deeper and deeper mess, basically. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a really, I mean, I think it's a genuinely uh, fantastic historical documentation <laughs> of that time. But I mean, but it, it start the very first one is, is about the assassination of Joe Cox. And I remember that day so vividly and and how shocked. I mean, me and my wife went out for dinner and we were just, we couldn't speak and how we yeah. thought, oh, this is, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. And then just how many times we've felt that feeling <laughs> over the over the last uh, six years is just it's just incredible. So it's it, it's 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 amazing to start start with that. Yeah, I started with that one because although you know lots of my columns are full of jokes and whatever, I thought it's really important to remind people of the kind of stakes in all of this. It's real yeah. and it can get horrendous, and these things really matter. And what people say matter, and how people conduct themselves in public life matters and so I, I guess I thought that would be a good place to start because it yeah. reminds you that away from all the sort of jokes and the you know it's it's truly deadly serious yeah and and I think you know I think that was that possibly was that opening of this terrible terrible the opening of the gate it's the, the gate yeah. opened the gate yeah yeah I've had so, a lot of discussions with friends like who originally opened the gate and some people think it goes a lot further back and that the gate was opened in the Blair years. But so, I mean, David Cameron opened the gate, but lots of people maybe opened the gate. But here we all are. There's all those points where you look back and you think, oh, if only this, had, if, only the other, yeah. the other, if only the other Miliband brother had won. If only, there's all sorts of things where you think maybe that would have changed everything. But uh, yeah. Yes, I, I don't think he would have changed everything, no. the other Miliband. I think he was the worst Miliband. He was, but I think it would have... I Even think compared to Ralph. Things would have joking, changed. of course. <laughs> things have changed, you know, things would have changed so much. I mean, there's so many points, but that's that's what this book shows as well. It's just there's so many points where things could change. I think what, what you're also, and I think you allude to it in your introduction to it, is that if there's so much has happened in the last six years that it will actually remind you of things that were astonishing and that preoccupied us at the time that we've actually come, there's too much information that they've yeah. been pushed, pushed out we've of our heads. To, we've had to bury a lot of it as well, just to yeah. sort of psychiatrically survive. You have to sort of like put it in a locker beyond use, like put it down beneath the waves and just think, I can't think of the moment when Michael Howard literally suggested we went to war with Spain. I can't think of that because I have to hang on just, just as much as I can to my sanity. And there's so many of those incidents that you think, yeah. why did that really happen? Actually, for people writing about the news, you know, there were times in the olden times where you could go for like weeks, really, without thinking about the news. And now so many things were happening every day. That I remember there was one day when Boris Johnson sent some brand new junior minister to go to the House of Commons and answer questions about the fact that Boris Johnson had just been revealed to have been having an affair with Jennifer R. Curie, who lived in a flat with a stripper's pole. And I just saw, you know, this some random, I can't even remember what department he was, but he was a completely junior minister. And in any normal time, you know, the fact that a prime minister had done that would have, you know, we'd have written about it for weeks. But by the time of that, I can't remember what happened in the afternoon, but it was something so much bigger that that was <laughs> scarcely mentioned. Yeah. All this amazing material really has gone to waste. I mean, half the stuff you didn't write about was fascinating. And that is incredible. Do you think there was a point that 
Who was the first politician who just decided to, you know, to sit out the lie and not resign and and just and get away? Because there's a couple of points in it where I think, uh, obviously, the I, I thought that the Trump inauguration where he just lied about the number of people who were there, yeah. with, despite the f- f- photographic evidence, sort of, I thought that was the point where if people don't say, we have to stop this or we have to stand up to this, then then what's going to happen? But equally... Uh, that was the debut of the phrase alternative facts. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, if the, once that had been said out in public, you have to hunt it down immediately and kill it or else. And we didn't. You know, we allowed it to breed. And once it's been let go, then they know they can let anything go. And then I think also Dominic Cummings being able to get away with the kind of ridiculous, uh, the ridiculous lie about testing his eyesight while driving, which doesn't even make any sense as an argument. I would never get over that, man. Like sitting <laughs> sitting in that garden in number 10, and the whole country obviously not able to do anything else because we were basically locked in our houses, thinking, yeah. I'm going to watch this guy. He looks like the guy at my kid's school that nobody wants to talk to at the parents' meeting because he's just a weirdo teacher. He had that little desk out in the you know, out in, yeah. out in the garden. And he was really late. Like he was sort of Mariah Carey or something. It's like, turn up on time. And the things he said was so obviously ridiculous. He still held us in sort of giant sage by many people. Yeah. But I mean, I just, and even in front of the select committee, he still claimed that however strange it sounded, he was trying to test his eyesight by putting his wife and child in, in a car and driving at like quite a long distance. I, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Is it because journal? I mean, is it because people have come to not trust journalists? Is it because journalists, I mean, not including you in this, because you're, you're just commentating, but not doing their job of going, well, come on, this is palpable bullshit. Why would you test your eyes with a child in the back of the car? In any case, if that was what you were doing. Has journalism let us down? Is it because there's so much, is it because so much, so much of, the news we kind of accept is not truthful anyway? It's quite difficult. I mean, I, it's quite difficult. A lot of, you know, the British press compared to, say, the American press will do the thing of, like, if one of them doesn't get their question, the important question answered, then the next one will ask it and they will keep asking. You know, the level of questioning that's had to be put on the Prime Minister spokesman over the last few years has been ridiculous. It still absolutely blows my mind that they spent, like, £3.2 million building that like briefing room and they were going to televise the lobby briefing every day i was like i mean it's quite watchable but why on earth i think they thought it would like make the journalists behave better which right was just i'm sorry no it, it, that would <laughs> never happen and it would have been a but it would have been it would have been good to watch i think but they eventually got i don't know it's hard to say i mean i do think those questions were answered but ultimately as we discovered with trump and whatever if they just will not engage on yeah. any rational level and just say, well, that's the truth. I did drive to test my eyes. Even if people, are, everybody said this is obviously ridiculous, but yeah. they just get away with it, don't they? I they think do. It's quite hard. If you're shameless enough, you can get away with a huge amount. Yeah. I, wonder, I mean, I don't know. I can't, I, will that ever change, do you think? I mean, I know you say you don't like making predictions. Will we ever get to the point where someone gets into politics? I feel like with politics now, people, the, 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 maybe this was always the case, but it seems worse. The politicians are saying what they think the public will vote for rather than what they think, whereas it should be, here's what I think, uh, here's what I want to do for the best for the country. If you agree, yeah. vote for me. If you, if you don't, then don't vote for me. And that should be the way it works, right? For the, for the good of the country. I mean, absolutely. And I, th- I think it's quite odd because I think, you know, one of the biggest things that you hear people talking about all the time is imposter syndrome. And sort of everyone, with the exception of them, seems to feel this like, 
am I in the wrong job here? Everybody feels this thing apart. It's become very self-selecting. And I think, you know, it's, it is horrible and difficult, the amount of scrutiny they get. It is difficult. I'm sort of of a belief that you should pay them more. But if you did pay them more, then I don't think they should just march through like lobby fodder and vote for whatever they're told and stay on all the, and just, they have a, as you said, the, the way you described it, the way that they have a part to play that is, at the moment, they don't. They're, they're either too pliant, or they freelance, or they're on Twitter all the time. Whatever it is, but if they up their game, then I, I'm of the belief that MPs should be paid more, perhaps to attract a different type of person than. Yeah, I, but I think that you know, I, I, I'm I'm all for it. I think it will happen. I'm sure it will happen eventually, but I feel like there needs. It feels like when you studied the sort of rotten boroughs of the 19th century and how you know there was this amazing. There was a sort of shift in in the way that that, that was done and there, those it feels like we need to completely revamp well yeah i mean there is a theory that politics is british politics has actually always been completely dreadful with yeah. the exception of about sort of 60 years around about the war and the various intakes after it where people who'd gone through this terrible national event a really amazing people went into politics. It's not a surprise that those were the years of consensus and all sorts of great things about our state were built during that time. Yeah. But then, you know, there was a sort of falling off in the quality. But that fall, you know, as you say, if you go back to the 19th century and before, I mean, really terrible people were involved in politics and it was pretty rotten. I mean, not all, but most. Yeah. So it's possible that because in living memory there was this kind of quite good, some quite good years of people, <laughs> we think that it was always like that and it's gone wrong. In fact, it might have just reverted to the norm. <laughs> well, I mean, th- this book is, inc- you know, it is incredible and it's uh, it's not something you can, I think you can sit down and read in, in uh, one go. I think you need to pace yourself a little bit because it's uh, there's there's so much in there and this isn't even everything. No, there was so much. I, ha- yeah. I couldn't remember half- writing half of it. I thought, my yeah. God, I mean, I must have been in a sort of fever dream when I wrote <laughs> these things down. And, you know, there was lots to leave out as well because there yeah. were so many things had occurred. You're obviously very prolific. I write a blog every day, but uh, but it's about myself, usually sometimes about the news, but it's very much a vomit draft, first draft thing. I like your blog. Oh, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> but, but it's very, you know, it's to write newspaper standard columns. I mean, you're writing, what, three or, three or four a week? Are you or more of that? I used to do three. Now I do two. But on right. sometimes I'll write every day if it's an election or yeah. something is really busy in politics. So I'll probably do three this week because it's a sort of big news time. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's just a trade, Richard. It's just a trade. <laughs> it's not an art. It's yeah. it's filling the space, and you know, it's a knack like anything. The longer you've done it, the easier, to some extent, it gets. Well, maybe, but you're you're very witty, and you know, I I read the papers a lot, and, I've, and I do various things. Oh, today, I was reading, looking through the news stories, and there are things that are definitely filling the newspaper, like someone. Uh, listing 10 films where they thought there were mistakes in you. These are newspaper articles. There's things about a a woman going to Greg's, trying to order something and finding out it changed its name to something else. She was momentarily confused. And that's in the papers. Those are fillers. (laughs) Whereas this... I don't really know what to say about that. I didn't didn't read a lot of the newspapers, actually. I'm I'm completely addicted to the comments section on Mail Online. I'm absolutely... I spend a huge amount of time reading. I find it really sort of fascinating. It's like a kind of live focus group away from your filter bubble. It's really interesting. I'm I'm gripped constantly by what plays well, what doesn't. I don't know. Yeah, from your point of view, in terms of you know writing these, because I think you know, other writers might be interested as well. I think mean, obviously you get to choose 
you'd usually be writing about the main story. So you don't you don't have to go through papers going, what am I going to write about? You go, Boris Johnson's done this ridiculous. You're looking for... You did in the old days. You yeah. did have to go through the papers thinking, what am I going to write about? But right. now it's much more like, it's more like, what aren't I going to write about? Because yeah. Like, yeah, so I get up in the morning, I think, what should I write about today? And I choose it. I don't really have a start at the beginning. I always just like write some random things down in a Word document and then move them all around. And then kind of eventually, after about two or three hours out of that soup has staggered a form of newspaper yeah. column, which I then send. So I've yeah. normally sent it to them by midday. But it's good to do it in two or three. When I, I wrote a column for the Metro again, which was more personal-based than news-based, but sometimes it would take me three days to think of something to write about. And so Sometimes I could do it in an hour or two, but sometimes it would take me all week to write 600 words. Anything you write quickly is the best, in yeah. my personal experience, and talking to lots of other writers. If you write it quickly... It's much the best. There, you know, there are ones where you know you labour over it for ages, and then you just eventually have to put the handbrake on at a thousand words and just think, yeah. "Well, that is dead on arrival." But what can you do? You know, there's a chance to write a better one the next day. So that's a nice <laughs> for people like me with short attention spans. <laughs> and you know, if you think you've, oh, I've been absolutely totally hopeless today, which I feel f- all the time, you do think, well, at least there's another chance, either tomorrow or in a couple of days' time, and you can do something else. I mean. That's the thing about newspaper columns. They're supposed to be sort of evanescent and kind of dissolve. And yeah. now they're not only kept forever on the internet, but they're mine. I've actually gone in a book. So I'm, <laughs> it's, it seems to be against all the proper rules of what these things should be. You know, these are random thoughts I had and they're probably completely wrong and should have probably just been burnt after reading. But anyway, now they're in a book, so you can see all my mistakes. I think that's what makes them good. I mean, I genuinely think they'll be looked at by historians because they're... Because because they're documents of someone's opinion, but also like someone, if it doesn't feel to me like you are, I mean, I think you know, you I can probably guess roughly where your politics lie, but you are you're very even-handed in a way that I think comedians and people who write comedy should be. That that oh. you're well, you're just looking for the the, the stupid things that, to, yeah. any, that anyone's done. So it's not you know often it will be the government because they're they're the ones making the decisions. It's all, I mean, it's it's mostly the government. When the Blair government were in, you know, right back at the start when I first started doing a sort of diary column and things like that, you know, it, it was the Blair government and then the Brown government, and I, I read about them all the time. And the Conservatives were just some random sideshow that yeah you visited once every 10 weeks. Yeah. And um, that's been slightly the case with the, with Labour to, uh, in the recent years. But, I mean, you know, I would always welcome a new cast of characters. Yeah. But you're finding the funny and it, and it doesn't feel particularly biased. It's, and, and it feels like a... I think your judgment is very good. There's loads of things where you are proved to be very correct. I mean, you make a prediction about Boris Johnson becoming Prime Minister in 2019 after, you know, in about 2016. So you sort of get, you get things sort of... I always felt he wasn't done with us. I don't think he's done with us yet. No. This is what's happened. It's like the bloody Marvel Cinematic Universe. You don't die anymore. You can come back. This is what, you know, Johnson can come back. Trump can come back. This, it used to be... You know, you were put beyond use. A sort of concrete dome was built over you and you emerged as a sort of elder statesman slash big beast, you know, in due course when you'd been sort of decontaminated. Now it's like he's already the... The day Liz Truss took over, Boris Johnson was the favourite to take over from her as Tory leader. We just just dealt with that. (laughs) Yeah, well, I remember... It's the sense of no escape that we're living through. There's none of it's ever over. It just, it's just dormant. It's true. I think, again, within your writing, though, something that I think is very... Your range of references is very good. You always sort of pick the right... You know, you've got quite a broad knowledge, I think, because you're obviously quite into sport, but you're also into entertainment. So you'll pick a film reference or a sporting reference and apply it to a politician 
and it's always bang on. I do, you know, I notice on Twitter. Oh, you are nice. Well, it, I think people just like that, though. People, people like that because, you know what, people really hate politics to a large extent, <laughs> but they do quite like sport and they do quite like movies and things like that. And I always think really associatively anyway. Whenever, I, you know, even when I'm watching sport, I will think, that's a little bit like what's happening in politics at the moment, even if it's just yeah. like some random moment at the cricket. So I'm always thinking of the other thing anyway. Yeah. And I think actually filtering politics through the prisms of things that people do actually like, be it like pop music or movies or anything like that, makes it more palatable. It's a bit of a spoonful of sugar, isn't it? It is. And that's, how, I suppose, how I, I found that way that I wanted to write about politics and that was more. And, you know, maybe that's why people have liked it if they have. Um, obviously not everyone likes it at all, but because it's it's more accessible in a way because it's I, I try and talk about other things as well as yeah as well no, as, I, th- I think so definitely but uh, but also it's somebody calling out the stuff that I think often the newspapers aren't doing in a, in a way so you're because it's your personal opinion and because it's your personal column you're allowed to express views that, yeah. that even that even within the within the Guardian don't necessarily get sort of uh, there's always this idea of balance which I think has got us into the trouble we're in in that that. People have sort of thought balance means if you say you like that, you know, we need to get the extra, the two extreme views, and then that's balance rather than the fact that most people are in the middle. Well, actually, yeah, putting really extreme views has, yeah, a lot of people are in the middle and putting yeah. really extreme views on. I think that's what happened to a large extent is that, you know, rolling news, which does not have huge budgets, but wants to be interesting. And we have a, have a lot of it. I think they realized a little bit like reality TV bookers that if you get people from two extremes and kind of shove them together, you get conflict, which produces drama, which is quite a cheap way of filling your airways and quite dramatic. And that kind of pundit TV, I think, I totally agree with you, was really damaging. You always had like some kind of really extreme lefty and then someone from the Taxpayers Alliance. It's like, guys, I don't think anybody, I mean, you know, this is really, this is the tiny ends of the graph. Um, And yet to have a huge number of debates and news presented via that particular device was was polarizing angering provocative just it made made very emotional moments out of things that were really quite factual and I'm not quite sure that was the right way to cover a lot of it no well and you know and uh, both Trump and Johnson basically used TV to to propel themselves forward so you know it it is it is which as you discuss this this sort of uh, democracy turning into sort of the, the x factor and and uh, and people sort of collating those things it's you know it, i wonder whether we i wonder whether we will get beyond it or whether it needs you know it well like you say it's sort of world war 2 led to things being a bit fair again afterwards after everyone realized things had maybe gone a bit far <laughs> maybe we need something like that again to order, in order to reset things <laughs> have gone quite far it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, it's really difficult in a way to see. I spent a lot of the last few years saying to my children, you know, this isn't really normal. It didn't used to be like that. You know, they, they watched the Trump presidency. And after a while, I think, God, I've now been, you know, my daughter's eight. I've been saying this is for normal for about the last six years. I mean, technically to her, it is normal. You know, this is what yeah. it's like now. And it's quite hard to see a pathway back to putting the genie back in the bottle or the, you know, demons back in the box or whatever it is. And I, I think it's quite hard for us to see a way back. I'm not saying it's impossible at all, but it is quite difficult, particularly with social media and things like that. I think it's, and the tech come, I'm, I'm just not sure. I, I certainly can't see the way back myself. No. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, I do think that still in the in the middle, 
there's more people in the middle, but they're, they're still being divided off <laughs> into different groups. It's the, the people, there's, you know, maybe, I think sort of, sort of Brexit always felt like a sort of 25% thing, but the 25% of people who liked it were really into it, so were yeah. vociferously going for it, whereas most people didn't get, I mean, if we hadn't been called to vote on it, most, I, I really feel with Brexit, none of us were really qualified to make any decision about it no. but we all we all we all felt strongly enough about it but we didn't it, when it came down to it it would be very hard for anyone to justify their opinions because it was just like i like europe or i don't like europe is for most people was most i of suppose it. one thing i do find quite encouraging in a way if you're trying to look for sort of the positives the brexit vote was a vote in which lots of people who just don't normally vote in elections did actually vote and would have you know crawled across hot coals in some cases to vote. Now, you know, you may not, I personally may not have liked the way they voted, but that's by the by. It reminds us that it is possible and that even people who, groups that people think are kind of lost to politics or politicians think you can't reach those demographics or they're, you know, they can sometimes rise up and say something. So, you know, never write anybody off and never think, oh, we don't have to, you know, someone once, a pollster once told me that the only people politicians care, care less about than young people are dead people <laughs> because young people don't vote and young people don't that and I think well maybe but I wouldn't I really wouldn't put it past young people to make a show of lots of things now or I mean I, I'd never write groups and demographics off and think they're kind of lost to politics because they can become resurgent and obviously sometimes that can happen in a sort of way that you really wish it hadn't but I think it can be positive and we mustn't think that groups are lost and no. or that, that things can't change because clearly a seismic change ha- happened in 2016 in lots of different ways. And it may not have been to my tastes, but it, that's not to say the next one wouldn't be. No, and I think that is true that, you know, if you only need a dedicated group of people. So I think if young people who should and, and are doing to some extent get together, I, I think like all the, in a way, I feel like we, there's a lot of backward steps going on all around the world. And, and maybe that's the, the first step in going forwards in that taking that backward step and then realizing oh hold on this isn't actually the way forwards but i think the environment and stuff like that will hopefully make people come together but yeah if 25 percent of people can get behind you know nigel farage is the most successful politician of our age even though he couldn't get elected to as an mp and that says a lot about our age that says such a lot about our age, you know, this kind of really quite small figure in lots of ways, but is nonetheless the most, I, I think that says something about the lack of titans. Yeah. So if we can find, you know, if you can, if you can find that person, you can get that cause, which, you know, I feel, I feel there's enough going on that things, I have a, an element of positivity behind me, despite thinking that probably the world will be destroyed in the next few decades, which is great when you, you know, it's great. It's yeah. a great thing to think about. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But it's not all about politics, as you say. So there's, there's, you know, there's great stuff about entertainment. Enjoyed uh, the stuff about Greg Wallace. He's always, he'll always be with us, I think. <laughs> You're very good at picking out uh, the right people and, and understanding what makes them comedic, I think, which is, I, mean, I do notice on, whenever you put a column out on Twitter, basically all the comedians will retweet it, calling you a genius oh. all the time, which I think, so, you know, is, a, is a, I, yes, they do, Marina. And, you know, I think it's, that's impressive because it's very, A, it's hard to write about politics in a funny way, I think. But also, I think to to appeal to comedians, I think shows that you're getting something right. Have you ever had the inclination to perform and get out and and sort of do not stand up to do live shows? Well, funnily enough, when I was much much younger, you know, when I was in sort of my early really early twenties, I did things like stand up and I did perform. Um, but then I I don't know, I did, wouldn't have had the confidence really to carry to carry on at that age in my life. I really wouldn't have, and it's really it's something that has. Now I'm too old to do all that and I like writing and I like writing for other performers and that's sort of fun. But that could have been a different path, but I wouldn't have had the confidence to take that at all. And I also think it was really quite sexist back in those days, much more so than it is now, although as I'm not on the circuit, I can't do. But I did find it quite sort of, I think, you know, lots of attitudes have changed. Yeah, I think it was very it was very difficult uh, for women in a way that it's, you know, things are that's that's the nice thing about comedy things I have shifted I think uh, yeah, not entirely n- none of the things are uh, always perfect but it's definitely a lot better in those senses. So yeah, I can I can see that. I, I had the printed copy of this book. Have you done an, an audiobook version and do you do the audiobook yourself? I'm recording the audiobook <laughs> um intro tomorrow. I didn't do the whole book but I've done quite a long okay. introduction and I'm recording that. And then I'm doing an interview at the end with Catelyn Moran. Um, oh, uh, so we're going to have a, a right old natter about it all. And that's going on the audio book. But I ha- yeah, I've, I'm really quite worried about reading out loud. Right. Well, the idea of reading 479 pages or whatever is out loud. I just thought, <laughs> they said, it will probably take you 10 days. And I thought, yeah, it'll probably take 30. <laughs> I will really stumble over it and think, why did I write that? It's a, it's a weird thing to have to go, but I, I, I quite like it as a... What's it like? Well, I've got, if you do it at the right point, I've realised I've only I've only done one like, full, like, longer book as an yeah. audio book. But uh, if you do it very early on, like you've finished the book and it's been approved and they've done all the editing, yeah. and then, then you do it, then you spot all the stuff that's wrong, and then you can change it in time for the... You can change it in the audio book and you can change it in time before the book's published. Amazing. So I quite, I quite, I quite like doing it. And I think I, I like hearing someone do their own book if possible. They, you know, this book is absolutely mammoth. It is, it is, there's, there's, so, there's so much in it. It's really big. I know. I know it's really big. I would have, so, yeah, I know. I, I, it's really big, but someone brilliant has read it instead. Uh, yeah, I will do the introduction and chat like non-seductively to people at the start, stumbling over yeah. my own words. Uh, so I think, you know, I think you you seem a natural performer to me. So, I, you know, I, I, I kind of fancied that you would do your own audio book. But that's... I'm going to really bring it for the introduction, Richard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave everything out there on the stage. I mean, the introduction is great. You talk about uh, it felt like uh, I'd written a book I hadn't read. 
a bit like Katie Price, as you say, but it, but I think that's that sort of... She's read none of her autobiographies, Richard, none of them. <laughs> and that's what I felt when I was going through all these things, thinking, what was this thing that Theresa May did here? What was an indicative vote? You know, I couldn't remember what the meaningful votes were that, but they were different and indicative votes. But you forget that during that time, despite the fact that, you know, I have no memory of what they are now, people were going home after work and watching BBC Parliament. This is not the behavior of a healthy country, okay? You should go home and watch anything else. People were sitting there. You know, my, I felt really about my children could do impressions of John Burko. I mean, something, <laughs> something very precious was stolen from my children by that period. And I was, you know, because I had to watch it for work and I'd have to say, shh, 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 they're doing another one. What's <laughs> happening? I mean, I could not even explain to them what was happening. But yeah, we all lived through it. And, uh, and also you, you talk about telling yourself to get over uh, how angry or histrionic you were about certain subjects. So in hindsight, you don't necessarily look back and agree with all of them or or just, or is it just? There's probably things I don't agree with. And also I think, you know, there's a lot of columns just in the immediate wake after Brexit where like, you know, 70% of the columns sounds okay. And 30% of the column would just sound like a histrionic twat. Okay. But, you know, <laughs> that was a huge mood at the time. A lot of people sounded like what may, we may later think histrionic twats. And so that's what it is. A column is a sort of record in a moment. And so this is a record told in the moment. It's, you may not agree with it afterwards. And, you know, there may be things I got wrong. And there may be, you know, I often think tone is the most, in fact, I know tone is the most important thing about any form of writing at all. And it's quite unfair. You can have something great to say, but if your tone's all wrong, it's, it's a fiasco. And also, I have to say as a writing trick, if your tone's right, but you have absolutely nothing to say, often people won't notice and think, oh, that was good, even though it wasn't actually. But there might be tones that I got wrong, or there might be I don't know. I mean, there's probably lots of it, but it, it, it's a sort of honest account. I mean, you can, you yeah. can go back and see these things on the. I didn't do what Dominic Cummings does and changes his <laughs> blog to say, I predicted an entire pandemic. Well, you didn't. <laughs> it was quite tempting. Sometimes yeah. I would go back and think, oh, that did actually turn out to happen. Or I, you know, or I was quite surprised, but I didn't go back and change things to make myself look better. Yeah. Although it was yeah. hugely tempting. <laughs> well, that's what I like about it. It is. It's in. It's a reaction in the moment, and it's a, you know, not not exactly a knee jerk reaction, but it's an instantaneous <laughs> reaction. And so, uh, you know, so that that very hot take. Yeah, but you talk about it being quite cathartic. Was it cathartic for you to write them at the time, or was it cathartic for you yeah. to look back over them all? Or I both? genuinely think it is a quite a cathartic. I mean, a lot of people I know have what I call unresolved news issues in the book, you know, because they we've lived, lived through this six-year bombardment. But my, given my job is to look at the news and sort of write essentially my feelings down, which I think is actually a sort of approved therapy technique. Don't the therapists tell you to write lots of things down? My yeah. job is sort of writing it down. So at the end of it, there is a form of satisfaction at having yeah. sort of not put it to bed but at least sort of dealt with it on some level um, yeah. so I've been quite fortunate in a way yeah I have found it quite cathartic particularly uh, yeah the moments where it was most chaotic in a way sort of sitting there and trying to think of the joke about this or that is actually quite a good discipline and makes you think through it get through it and deal with it to some extent yeah know. and I think and as a reader I think it is I mean you know the, the fact the book's called what just happened we're in the middle of this stuff it seems a lot of it seems absolutely unbelievable and uncontrollable and out of our control and and that you know that's where it's comedy's job to um 
to make us laugh. Yeah, I mean, I've got no idea what's just happened. That's why it's called the exclamation mark and the question mark. Yeah. I saw that a scientist had also written a book called What's Just Happened, but there was no question mark and no exclamation mark in his title. He, he, such, he was so certain of things. I'm very uncertain, if you can tell. I have no idea what just happened. But they've always tried yeah. to sort of be a friend to the reader along the way and just... You know, I, I mostly watch this stuff on the sofa, the same as everybody else. I don't go into the Houses of Parliament. I don't do all of those sort of inner access things. I, sometimes I go to the party conferences. But in general, I've watched this stuff at home or listened to it at the radio and thrown things across the kitchen at the radio, just like everybody else. Yeah. And I've, I sort of wanted to be a friend to the reader all along the way to say, you know, let me let me throw my hands up in the air with you because what has just happened? Yeah, and and you know, and you're very good at the comedy, but there's also a lot. I mean, there's a lot of serious uh, t- topics. The me, there's a very moving thing about me too. There's you talk about Sarah Everard as well. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, disaster and death and stuff within uh, COVID and and everything else <laughs> with all the other stuff that's happening. Well, I mean, you can't believe we, we forgot the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. We forgot the deadly pandemic. This is the thing. You think, well, just yeah. Oh, hang on, I've, I've forgotten the deadly pandemic. Yeah. Well, and it's like you know, there's, I'd forgotten about Brett Kavanaugh. And you go, oh god, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, that, yeah. I'd, I'd almost forgot about Matt Hancock. And then you know, you will. All, there's there's great stuff about the uh, billionaires. There's a whole section about billionaires in space and all that sort of stuff. Oh, the space uh, race. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, also, but then also, you know, what, and another another period might have been a big, big deal, the Oscar mix-up between La La Land and Moonlight. That might Wonderful. have been the biggest story of, a, of five years. Once upon have, in past years, we would have dined out on that for a month. It just, you know. <laughs> but I think it still was the biggest news in Hollywood for quite some time because it's rather an insular colony. Yeah. Well, I'm better than the, you don't, I don't think we get to uh, Chris Rock and... Uh, Will Smith we didn't sadly get to Chris no, Rock, no. but you know, plenty of time, plenty of time. <laughs> I'm sure he did at the time. Well, <laughs> well, that's that's terrific. It, it is a terrific book. Uh, it's called uh, What Just Happened, and uh, it's uh, going to be available in all the usual formats. I, I, I say fittingly for this age, it's an important historical document that you can read on the toilet. That is that's. <laughs> That's my review of it. <laughs> so, oh my god, that's fantastic! I wish they could put it on the front. It's a weird thing because it it made me laugh and it made me feel depressed in equal in equal measure. But I think ultimately the laughter the laughter wins. But you know the depression part isn't your fault, Marina. You were working <laughs> you were working with what was available to you. <laughs> you can only play it as it lays, Richard. You can only play it as it lays. Uh, and uh, I, I can I know from reading your columns that you must be a vor- voracious reader yourself. Uh, do you have any um, books that you're reading at the moment that you'd like to recommend or anything coming out soon? That oh, my God, I'm so hot. I, I, I wouldn't like to recommend it because I'm so <laughs> horrified. And it's actually, this is bizarre because of the room I happen to be sitting in because of the noise. <laughs> I'm currently reading It's for a Thing. This the Angels oh of Lovely Lane by Nadine Doris. <laughs> I'm really embarrassed, I have to admit this. I had to go on a tube journey yesterday and I was unable to take my book, which I normally do, because I just thought I can't actually... There's, I could probably put it inside the Karma Sutra or something, but there's no way I could possibly. It's Yeah, I have not actually read anything by this particular author before. No. It's... it's, it's yeah, I can't, having to admit to the fact that I'm reading that, I said to my husband, I feel like I've been reading this book for a hundred years. And he said to me, what page are you on? And I was like, nine. I've still been reading it for so long. And I can see that I'm on page 132. That's not even a third. So wow. it might be the book that finishes me off. Okay. And do you have a favorite book or is there a favorite genre of book you, you like? I mean, you feel well, you feel like you're well read 
Oh. I read a lot. I, I mean, I read a lot of history books, a lot of biography books. Yeah. I read novels. I mean, God, I read. I'm trying to think what I'm. What else? I'm. No, I mean, I don't like to rank things, so I don't want to say a favorite. But I read a huge amount about Hollywood in the old golden era. That all you know, there's a great. Yeah, I read a huge amount about Hollywood in the sort of golden age of the studios, but also afterwards. I mean, that's probably the subject on which I am most knowledgeable. Right. Okay. Never write about it. <laughs> I never write about it. Yeah. So um, all the other things, I'm an amateur. I know you've written one book before about celebrity. Yeah. Are, you, are you going to? Is that? Is that the? Is it just two books you've got out? Is that? Is that? Is that? That's, the... Those are my two books. Those yeah. are my two books. Yeah. I'm. I. Are you planning to do anything? Because it feels like. I mean, yeah. as much as I love the columns, I feel like there's there's more to you than than columns. Yeah. You know, I would. Yes, I would. I would love to write something fictional. I just. Uh, yes, there are lots of other things. I'm doing sort of screenwriting as well, and so there's lots yeah. of other things that I would like to do. Just typing my little fingers to the bone, basically. <laughs> That's great. Um, and um, I suppose just from an author's point of view, was this? Did someone come to you say, "Do you want to put these columns together, and we want to print print it," or did you sort of tap this idea? around or was it well they asked me a few years ago but owing to our our arrangement the guardian's arrangement with the publisher i did not feel that it was a deal we could both be proud of (laughs) (laughs) and and so my brilliant agent said no we'll we'll wait for them to return to us and then they did return to us with what i would describe as a deal we could both be proud of (laughs) so so i have proceeded on those terms if i'm perfectly honest I mean, it's quite nice to accidentally write a book, though, isn't it? Right to like to write a book in very small. Well, I really don't know how people. That's what I thought. I thought I've actually written this book, but it turns out there's rather a lot more to do than you know. Even I, but I did say, gosh, imagine people who've had to write the book as well. I mean, there's, there's so much around the edge of it, which I've really enjoyed, by the way, and going out and talking to people, doing all these other things. But it's yes, I mean, I had actually technically already written the book. Yeah, but it's very artfully put together as well. I think, as you say, it could. It would be weird if it was just in in order. Thing in you know it, it jumps around. You know you go through sections, and so there's something about politics. But we have to break up the politics a yeah. lot with other things like celebrities and billionaires, yeah. because otherwise it would just be relentless. But we're jumping around in time as well as we so it's not just yeah. uh, it's not it's not just in in the order. We're hopping in time, yes. Yeah, which I think is is the right decision, and also because we all. I mean, when we remember it, we all know what happened. It's not there's no spoilers to be had in this book. Originally, the publisher said to me, "You know, what about doing it in themes?" And I was like, "I don't have anything so fucking grand as themes, do I?" I mean, I, you know, I've got some characters, but you know, they're given to me on a plate. But I, I don't have anything so grand as themes. Right. Well, it's a, it's very terrific. You will you will enjoy it, and uh, it's a book that you can um, you know read at your leisure as well, which I like. Especially doing this podcast, they end up reading about four books at once. So it's nice to be able to go. Unbelievable! It's nice to be able to go and dip into something and read a bit, and then go. Oh, it doesn't matter if I can walk away from it and come back. So I've, I've very much been enjoying reading it. I do recommend it. It's oh, extremely thank funny. You. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on the on the podcast as well. It's uh, been really lovely to meet you. Next week's podcast, I believe, is uh, Richard Aoadi, which I've already recorded and is an absolutely fantastic podcast i do listen to that he's written a book for kids and i'd just like to thank chris evans for uh directing and putting all this together and thank you very much to my guest marina hyde thank you thanks so much it was lovely hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Thanks for listening. RichardHerring.com slash gigs. GoFasterStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on the, on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye. <laughs>